This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 24th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. How should the government spend federal dollars on security? The Transportation Security Administration is one area worthy of cutting. So says John Mueller, senior fellow at the Cato Institute and co-author of the forthcoming book, Are We Safe Enough? Donald Trump, in addition to being a master showman, and maybe these are two peas in the same pod, is also a master of threat inflation and making certain threats appear to be much greater than they actually are if you look at the if you do the math on uh, the your your likelihood of being affected by some specific act and um, your work has a lot to do with making sure that we understand what the actual risks are and and trying to behave in a rational way rather than in a way that is uh, merely an emotional reaction. So what do you make of how he has performed uh, thus far? Well, it's been pretty incoherent, which doesn't uh, make it unusual, I guess. So he's consistently uh, incoherent. Uh, what was impressive was the uh, budget blueprint that came out just a few, you know, a few weeks ago. And uh, they had actually been willing to really look at the Department of Homeland Security budget, including the Transportation Security Administration budget, and see about cutting it. Uh, so they give them some points for at least, you know, taking on sacred cows. But they did it so incoherently and so foolishly that um, it was it was uh, you know totally unconvincing. Basically, uh, Mark Stewart and I are just finished a book which will be out later this year called "Are We Safe Enough?" Um, and the the uh, it's focused on airline security, so we've been spending a lot of time basically looking at it. And what you want to do in that case is there's a whole series deal with a whole series of layers of security, um, and uh, you know, and it basically hasn't been looked done consistently. For example, if the Washington Post reported a former TSA administrator saying, "Well, every layer is important and contributes, so therefore we have to have them all." Well, that's basically nonsense. I mean, basically, you want security. Obviously, some layers are unquestionably better than others. Some layers are also cheaper than others, and what you want to do is emphasize the cheap and good and de-emphasize the expensive and, and not very bad. Uh, everyone is, is correct that everyone contributes to security. It's not if you, have, if you have a layer which actually reduces your security, then obviously that's a bit of a no-brainer. It's not worth spending any money on at all. But they all probably do contribute a little bit. So what we've done is gone through all the layers of security and try to look, assess the ones that seem to be uh, to, to the degree which they were, they were effective uh, at reducing risk and then comparing that to their costs. So essentially cost-benefit analysis, risk analysis from the get-go looks at it from that way. It's a standard thing. So what do we and, know? And it's appalling, basically. They, they haven't done that, nor has TSA without the Trump uh, people being there. What do we know about these layers of security and what contributes what? Well, it's you can you can uh, you have it's it's first of all what you do is try to get their cost, and that is not easy all the time, but fairly fairly uh, straightforward. And then you start estimating how much they probably reduce the risk, uh, and uh, you can come up with these sort of yardsticks, rough estimates. Uh, 
and you can play around with them. If you, you basically say this will it probably reduces the chance of a successful hijacking by five percent or ten percent or something like that, um, and then when you're through, you can say, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's twenty percent, if that, or thirty percent, or only two percent. In which case, uh, then if you still get the same answer, you're pretty pretty confident about it. So that's basically what we've done. And and when you do that. What you find is some layers are stupendously expensive. The most uh, egregious case of that is the federal air marshals, which cost pretty much a billion dollars a year, particularly if you include the costs that the airlines have to put in for, uh, for uh, uh, g- giving them first-class seats. And um, the, the Bush, the, uh, the Trump um, budget didn't even look at them. That, that's by far the, the thing really, you don't have to go in very deep before you see that jumping out at you. How do they spend a billion dollars uh, basically having people fly free on airplanes and scheduling them so they fly from one place to another? There's a few thousand of them. You know, you think you could do it in your bedroom with, a, you know, a, a, a scheduling thing on your computer. Uh, and said they spent about a billion dollars on it, which is really impressive. And, of course, the air marshals haven't caught any terrorists at all or whatever in their, their lengthy period of history. And then there are other layers, such as the federal, such as the FFD, the, the flight deck officers, which are really cheap. Um, and uh, unlike the air marshals, pilots are on every plane. At least I'd never flown on a plane, didn't have a pilot, and I think that's a safe estimate. So they're always going to be there. So one thing is these guys really give a damn, obviously, about what's going on. Uh, and if somebody tries to hijack their plane, they're likely to be, to say the least, exercised, uh, both in the sense that their sense of duty has been tromped on, and plus, obviously, that the, the people will get killed. Uh, and uh, the pilots really like the program. They want to do it. They want to be able to defend themselves and defend their airplane. I think that, you know, they take sort of a paternalistic or sea, sea captain view. You know, they, they, you do have hundreds of people who are under their control. They, everybody puts their safety into the hands of the flight deck crew. Um, and so, consequently, they, do t- they obviously take it seriously. And, and fortunately, that, you know, should, obviously. Uh, and so the, the issue, uh, the, uh, to train these guys to basically defend the cockpit is pretty cheap. And furthermore, in much of the training, they're willing to pay for themselves. They really want to do it. So what you've got is a very effective layer of security, one that's likely to be extremely good, at, particularly against hijackings. It's no good against, obviously, bomb, bomb threats, uh, but against hijackings, it'd be very good. And it costs very little. Uh, another layer, which is essentially free, is crew and cabinet re- cabin uh, crew resistance, uh, uh, passenger resistance. Uh, you can pretty much count on the passengers um, without having to pick up a nickel uh, and without any training at all to really risk a lot to stop a hijacking because they know if the hijackers are successful, they're going to be dead. So consequently, their mind is obviously going to be, to say the least, concentrated. So what you've got is a layer of sets of those things. And what the Trump administration did was it initially was going to try to reduce the federal air marshals program, uh, which is relatively inexpensive. And it didn't pay any attention whatsoever to the air marshals. Uh, and uh, then it played around with a couple of other, other programs, which were somewhat questionable. The, uh, the, these, uh, uh, the thing that they call the Viper teams, which is a bunch of basically groups of people who go around trying to— uh, 
uh, coordinated uh, to try to find cap, uh, um, uh, terrorists, you know, basically in the airport. <laughs> Which they sometimes arrest at the end of a train ride. Yeah, right, yes. <laughs> Whereas it's, it would seem to be more useful yeah. to intercept them before the train ride. Yeah, that's right. That, that's the idea, basically. Uh, they also basically haven't done much of anything. And also the behavioral detection officers which are people trained to, to detect people who look shifty-eyed and so forth. And uh, they also, there's extreme, they're very incredibly expensive in that case. They're not as, as expensive as the air marshals. Um, so they were looking at a couple programs that could definitely be cut, uh, but they're ignoring the big elephant and, uh, trying, and thinking about cutting an extremely effective and extremely inexpensive program. So they and I must say, you know, as I mentioned in passing earlier, uh, TSA has not done much better. Uh, and that's sort of a scandal, it seems to me. I mean, everybody, if you read uh, Hawley's book, uh, um, the, uh, who is the first administrator of TSA, um, which he calls Permanent Emergency, which is kind of a depressing title, I must say, but he really believes it. Um, and uh, he, he was there at the get-go, and they were th slinging money at airplanes. I mean, they didn't know what they were doing after 9-11, and that's obviously perfectly understandable. I mean, you just sort of panic, and you're in panic mode for a while. Well, you might do that, you know, if, you're, if there's a bunch of burglaries on your block. You might also, you know, invest a lot in burglar alarms and hiring bodyguards or whatever uh, and sort of overspend. And then, but after a couple of years— uh, you as a person or you in your business, for example, say, you know, I was through a lot of that money in panic. Some of it, might have, it was probably pretty well spent by sheer luck, and some of it wasn't. wasn't. And you expect any normal person after a few years, certainly, would go back and say, I ought to reevaluate that. Do I really need that burglar alarm? Could I get, do I really need a full-time bodyguard? You know, whatever. The salience. Uh, and the they, salience it's costing me a lot of money, and, and I, they, they may be doing some. They all do some good, but the question is, do they do enough good to justify their cost? That salience of the moment is gone. Yeah, that's right. And so that, so I don't, I don't fault them for sort of panicking after 9-11. Uh, I think they would all agree that the panic was not, Justified overall, it was not. You know, there's never been a, a terrorist attack either before or after 9/11, um, or in war zones or outside war zones that has uh, visited even about 10 percent of as much destruction as 9/11. So it's very much an outlier. But anyway, it, it, you know, who knew that at the time? You know, maybe this is going to be the start of another. So, so they do. But but basically, after time, you sort of calm down. And you try to say, you know, some of that money is well spent and some of it wasn't. And logically, you try to, you know, put the money from the – take the money from the inexpensive, not very good programs to the ones that are cheaper and, and better. In trying to uh, calculate risks and trying to assess which levels of security ought to receive uh, relatively uh, more uh, – be promoted versus demoted in terms of uh, what we use to protect ourselves and airlines from – uh, terrorism, terrorist incidents are fairly rare. Indeed. So can we say that the totality of whatever we have is good enough to deter many of these incidents and the uh, totality of what we have is good enough to stop most of these incidents in their tracks for the four people who are not deterred. Yeah, well, it's relatively easy in the airline industry as opposed to somebody shooting up a football game or something like that. Um, and it's extremely likely that people have been deterred uh, from from attacking airplanes because of these security measures. Um, but on the other hand, there hasn't been much terrorism anywhere 
And so it, it, if it is the case that they've been deterred from, if there are a bunch of, a whole lot of people out there who are willing to do, do damage, and you say, and they look at the airplanes and say, no, no, that's really too hard. Uh, well, the, you know, the number of targets that exist, you know, like a gay nightclub in, in Orlando or something like that, or a terrible tragedy. Um, the, you know, there's how many places like that are in the country? You know, millions, thousands, uh, tens, hundreds of thousands. So, um, the, uh, so it's it probably the case that they have been deterred quite well from certain targets. But uh, the fact that there haven't, they haven't been displaced and are, are showing up elsewhere sort of suggests that just possibly they don't exist. So Mark and I did a book last year called, um, 2016, called Chasing Ghosts, uh, which sort of looks at the incredible task of going after all these people who mostly don't prove to be anything. For example, the, the FBI has um, chased down uh, at least 10 million, maybe closer to 20 million leads since 9-11 on terrorism. Uh, and the number of those, we know how many have led to something because there have been arrests or there'd be something you know, coming out of that. Uh, and uh, the, the numbers that have led to much of anything is, is very small, maybe a few hundred. And of those, the vast majority are pretty pathetic. I mean, they were guys who were really thinking about doing something bad. Uh, but that's about all they were doing is thinking and, and not likely ever to carry it out. Uh, people who the, the FBI in many cases helped significantly in, in terms of the providing them not just the uh, apparent means, what looked like means to those people, but even sort of egged them along. Yeah, the, 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 the most most plots that have been brought up, brought together, have had FBI informants in them. In other words, it's not they, they haven't just surveilled people they thought might do it, but they've actually infiltrated agents uh, into or operatives into the plot itself. Uh, so there's a case, for example, uh, about two years ago in Rochester, New York. Um, there was a panhandler who was down on his luck and everything else. He tried to commit suicide quite a few times, and was uh, was he had spent. He's only 26 years old, but he spent the last 10 years of his life almost entirely in jail for various elements of pretty uh, petty crime. Um, and he started got the jihadist thing. He converted he converted to Islam in prison because they thought it'd protect him from being raped, for example. Uh, and anyway, he, he thought he'd be really cool to be able to join ISIS, and he got in touch with somebody in ISIS and said, yeah, go do some terrorism or something, I'll show you, and then sort of an entry fee and so forth. So uh, in, with uh, the usual lack of subtlety of these guys, he started advertising on Facebook, um, and uh, the, the FBI immediately picked that up, and pretty soon he found himself to be at the center of a cell of four people. The other three were all FBI informants. Um, and so that's that's really not terribly unusual. Three to one is a little bit high. It's usually more closer to two to one. But uh, it's it's basically you get these pathetic people um, who are sort of out of it. And in his case, he was also had mental problems and, and uh, was mentally ill and was not taking his medication. That also is becoming increasingly common. Uh, and then the FBI agents start you know encouraging them and, and joining in. Are the assessments ever made of what the security gains are of having FBI agents sort of spend, in some cases, months egging these guys along and, and devoting the resources to yeah, basically basically getting a guy to, to click a button at one point and say, now we got him? Yeah. They're, they're very high. In fact, it's not uh, frequently not months, but years. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and you have to pay the operatives. You have to pay the people who... 
marshal the operatives. You had to pay secretaries and stuff to take down notes and everything and, uh, and uh, accumulate evidence. And the, uh, the informants are frequently really pretty clever people. Uh, they're basically con artists because they're, they're playing a role, obviously. Um, and uh, it's a tricky one because they're dealing with someone who's, uh, who's thinking about killing people. Therefore, you're dealing with a potential murderer, and therefore, <laughs> if he thinks that you're selling him out, he might murder you. So it's it's a serious thing. Um, none of the, violence has never happened. There's been places where people got suspicious of the, the informants and so forth, but uh, no, they've not had had problems. But anyway, you have to pay all those people, and and also everybody everybody I think who looks at these cases in detail, you say, would these guys have done anything if you just let them, you know, just just let them go. Um, and in general, what you'd conclude is, yeah, not very many of them. They're they're, they're sort of incompetent. Uh, they're they're sort of uh, uh, incoherent, um, and they're uh, uh, you know inadequate in just about every way. So it, the, the total number of people who've been killed by terrorists and Islamist terrorists in the United States is about six per year since nine eleven. Um, I had a friend of mine who works is sort of high up in the National Institutes of Health, and I asked him once, you know, suppose you had a disease that killed six people every year. How much money would you spend on trying to eradicate it? And he looked back at me like I was totally crazy. I mean, it just that kind of, you know, you got diseases killing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. You know, it's ludicrous to think about, about it in those terms. Um, so, uh, so then the question is, okay, we caught the, the lot of, there's a whole bunch of people we didn't, uh, we caught. And if they had been let on their own, you know, we know how much the people that we didn't catch killed, namely about six per year. Uh, and you would come out with a very small number, maybe 12 per year if these people hadn't been caught, maybe 20 per year. I mean, you're still not dealing with, with a very significant number. Any, any death is tragic, of course. Uh, but those are, you know, the, the amount of resources you want to put into that kind of thing. Uh, that kind of hazard is pretty limited when there's, some, you know, more people, far more people die drowning in bathtubs and things. Uh, the, and um, certainly from things like the, the drug, you know, the, the number of people who die each day in Ohio from drug overdoses is seven or is, is nine. In other words, more than for a whole year for white terrorists. <coughs> so and that's just Ohio. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's a lot of problems out there. And the question is, is this one big enough to, to cause the FBI, for example, to spend $3 billion a year on it? And it's a very, very questionable expenditure. John Mueller is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and co-author of the forthcoming book, Are We Safe Enough? Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.